stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Thanks again for tuning in to and the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. Face if you liked what like you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Elijah Church Podcast. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I don't imagine that Peter, James, and John are enthusiastic about hiking with Jesus in our gospel this morning. Why is that? Well, because Jesus has just finished throwing a wet blanket on the disciples' visions of glory. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus wants to know. John the Baptist, Elijah... All right, but, but, but who do you say that I am? And how does Peter respond? You remember? <clears throat> well, he gets it right. It's one of the few times in the Gospels that the disciples get anything right. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Oh, that's a nice start. Peter's on a roll. And then Jesus begins to explain what it means to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And after hearing that, the whole thing will end in death and that the disciples themselves might be fitted for their own pine boxes and just for following Jesus. Well, then Peter, yeah, he can't keep quiet. He shakes his head and he says, no way that's happening. And we who are 2,000 years removed wonder, well, why? <laughs> I mean, well, why couldn't it happen? Well, the answer is actually fairly simple. Messiahs don't die on crosses, especially on crosses. 
as though they're common criminals. I mean, eventually, yeah, they're going to die, but only after everything else has been taken care of. The occupying oppressors must be thrown out with the political and religious sovereignty restored. I mean, it's pretty simple, really. Messiahs are God's chosen, the ones raised up to repel God's enemies. And so when Jesus says that he's getting ready to die at the hands of those enemies, well, it must have come as an enormous rebuke to those who saw him, you know, cruising to the elections in the fall. And, and if that weren't enough, he makes Peter, the one who's just gotten the right answer on the first part of the take-home exam, he makes him look like an idiot. Peter says, die? Psh, God forbid it. I mean, that, that, that must never happen to you. And Jesus says what? Behind me, Satan. One time I got a message on Facebook. This was one of those um, Facebook sort of games or whatever. I don't, it's not a game, but I, it said, go to your profile. The top five friends in the sidebar are now your team in the upcoming zombie apocalypse. <laughs> List them in your status. And everybody else will rate your chances for survival and how long you get to live in the apocalypse. Well, this came from my friend David, a guy I was in a PhD program with at UofL years ago. And I was listed along with four other people, one of whom's a very famous theologian, as members of this fictional zombie apocalypse squad or, you know, some such nonsense. At any rate, I mean, it's just it's supposed to be fun. And the whole thing's obviously pretty random. I mean, I didn't comment, but the other members of the list were joking about how all those PhDs were going to be useless when the zombies come. <laughs> but after some time of this, you know, goofing around, the really famous theologian comes on the page and wrote rather uh, officiously, please don't post games on my wall. I don't have any interest in participating in them. Thanks. With a, uh, I felt bad for David because, I mean, he just gotten publicly called out by somebody that he really admires. This theologian just, I mean, just totally shot him down. I mean, ouch. I thought, dude, that, I mean, that's how Peter must have felt after Jesus told him, Get behind me, Satan, right? Well, it's a little different, I guess. Somebody feeling bad for David being publicly embarrassed wrote just after the famous theologian's response, look, I'm not playing here, but <clears throat> I think I just found out who's going to die first in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> after uh, Jesus puts Peter in his place, well, then he really lets the fur fly. Jesus launches into this prediction that sends shivers down everyone's spines. If anyone, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. It's not much of a pep talk from the head of HR, is it? And then a few days later, with only darkness on the horizon, Jesus comes to a group of three of them 
and says, you know, let's go for a hike. Well, you can imagine that they, they didn't chat much on the way up. There's not a whole lot left to say after Jesus just gave everybody heartburn. And sacrifice and suffering, death. Anybody remember to bring the Cheez-Its and Rolades? But, but, but when they do reach the top, Jesus is transfigured, right? He's transformed before them. I mean, just like that, no explanation, no segue, one minute gloom, and the next minute glory. And Jesus, like Moses in our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning, finds his face aglow, shining like the sun, dazzling white. And next thing you know, the disciples look up to see Jesus having a powwow with Moses and Elijah. And we're not sure exactly how the disciples know it's Moses and Elijah, whether they were, they were prophet trading cards or something that they'd been collecting since they were kids. But recognize them, they did. And there they were. There's looking at Elijah, Elijah and Moses and Jesus. There they're all talking. And they start shaking their heads and they say, man, can you believe, can you believe this? And James said, or Peter said, I'm, I'm going to say something. And James said, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Why don't you just sit there and shut up? Well, I got things to say. But you're going to get us all in trouble. Don't you remember what happened last time you opened your mouth? We got that whole speech about how we're all going to die because of Jesus. I mean, seriously, dude, just... Just be quiet. No, I'm saying something. As one commentator pointed out, Peter is the first century Palestinian George Costanza. <laughs> Peter plows ahead. Lord, it's good for us to be here. It's not a great opening, right? But what are you supposed to say to Moses, Elijah, Elijah, and Jesus. Well, perhaps nothing is best choice until you're actually spoken to. But not Peter. He rushes right past any common social cues and just, he just keeps talking. If you want, I, I, I'll make three dwellings up here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It'll be great. Now, see, I think I, I can see what Peter's getting at. He's He's just been told by Jesus that the going is about to get really tough. The road on which, they, on which they're headed is marked by fear and uncertainty. And next thing he knows, Peter's in the presence of some religious heavyweights, a couple of guys who've walked through some pretty difficult times of their own. Moses facing down Pharaoh and getting lost in the wilderness for 40 years. Elijah out on the lamb running from Ahab's death threats. But more importantly, both Moses and Elijah prevailed over the fear and uncertainty. I mean, not only did they outlast it, but they also conquered and in the process became Jewish heroes. I mean, they, they don't make trading cards out of failures, right? Peering into the dark valley ahead, the one that Jesus has just announced, the thought of camping out on the mountaintop with the Palestinian Justice League, well, I mean, that sounds like a pretty safe place to be, doesn't it? Did you ever feel like that? 
You're getting ready to graduate. The kids are getting ready to leave home. The nurses are prepping you for surgery. And as tough as it was in the past, the future seems scarier. I mean, even if the past was hard, at least you lived through it. You're not sure you'll survive what feels like the zombie apocalypse that's coming at you from around the next corner right now. But what, what if the past holds good memories? I mean, you were a star. Everybody loved you. Every day you woke up, it felt like you were going to win the lottery. Or, or, or at least a front row parking spot at Kroger at 5.30 on a Friday afternoon. If that's your, in your past, well then how much more difficult is it to let go and walk into the unknown of the darkness? I mean, if you can enshrine a glorious history so that you'd never have to leave, wouldn't you do it? And if not glorious, well then at least survivable. See, that's what Peter's after. And knowing what's coming when they finally get down the mountain and into Jerusalem, well, how, how, how can you blame them? Well, let's just camp out here. This feels like a good place. And if we as individuals understand how comforting that would be, then, I, you know, the church isn't that far behind. The church also thinks about how scary the future looks while simultaneously sort of holding on to what it remembers often as a kind of glorious past. And it's all over now. I mean, we hear about how people find the church less and less relevant, especially the younger generations. I mean, they're staying away in droves, right? Isn't that the popular narrative in our culture? Young people are selfish. There are slackers who only care about going to coffee shops and craft beer and getting things pierced at tattoo parlors. They don't care about the church. I mean, that's the dominant cultural narrative right now. The church is in trouble because people are preoccupied with, you know, other stuff. And frankly, COVID ruined everything for the church. But I, yeah, I want to challenge that narrative. Many people believe that past ought to stay right there in the past. They don't want answers that somebody copied off the exam from previous generations. Young people especially are looking for something to help them make sense of their lives. And if the data is correct, they're less concerned with the things their parents dreamed about, less worried about making sure that they get the house in the suburbs with the two-car garage and the 2.4 kids in large part because they're not convinced that the economics are going to actually hold up for them enough to do it. And, you know, what with inflation and a less than certain political picture, I mean, who, how do you blame them? When so many of your peers with college degrees are still struggling years after graduation to find jobs in their field, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to believe that a membership in Rotary or the Kiwanis Club or, or the church are just conventional paths leading nowhere that you actually want to go. But see, I want to defend these people who seem allergic to the past, just for a moment, because the future is a scary place for them too. 
One, however, that I, most of the folks I know are willing to face. But these skeptics of nostalgia want other people to walk with them into that unknown place. They want community. They want to belong to a group of people committed to walking into that future together. What they don't want to hear, I believe, is that they and their dreams don't measure up to the glories of the past. As safe and as comfortable, as wondrous and enviable as that past is for those who want to hang on to it. But the fear of the future isn't just a problem for young people. I mean, we've had a whole political movement rise because so many people live in fear of the future. In a world where white people are soon going to be a minority demographic for the first time in our country's history, there are a lot of white people who are afraid of the future and what it might hold. Now, I'm not saying it's for everyone, but a lot of people in this country over the past seven years making Make America Great Again is code for Make America White Again, right? It's a way to signal a return to a simpler time, which translated sort of looks like, you know, when people, white people could feel secure about their place in society and people of color knew their own place. Folks who look like me, okay, fine. Folks who look more normal than me have held power for every day of our national history. But the question that a lot of people who suffered under the straight white male hold on power is, why would we ever want to go back to that? There's a whole political philosophy that centers on pitching a tent right here, trying to convince everybody that here is a good place to be putting up as many roadblocks as possible to people of color, people who look like me, have built more and more prisons to keep us right where we are, and people of color where we can profit from their labor and their incarceration. And we've constructed cages that are supposed to warn brown people from coming here. We've built walls around voting booths to keep black people away from the corridors of power. We've often hidden behind our religion in an attempt to let LGBTQ people know that things were much better when they were, you know, in the closet. And, 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 and we could just you know, pretend they didn't exist. Like, like Jesus, we have to be honest about the fact that sometimes it isn't good for us to be here. It isn't good at all. And going back in time is only going to make things worse for whole swaths of the population. And I'll just be honest. <clears throat> I find the future to be scary. And unlike you, I'm sure, I find change to be painful, difficult. I like the past. At least it feels familiar. Past, let me be clear, is something that we should own, something from which we should draw lessons. But here's what Peter found out after barging into the Jewish all-star game uninvited. 
And I think it's instructive for us. Let me ask you a question. What's the first thing that happened after Peter declared his interest in building a safe place to house the past? How far did he get? You know, well, before he could pound the first tent peg and light the Coleman stove, the text says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, and with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. See, P Peter didn't even get all the words out before God broke in and said, Hey, pal! Over here. Look, look, this way. Not, don't look back there. Look at, look at my son. Keep your eyes on him. He's going to walk into a dark future, but you, you need to follow him. Now, I know it's going to be hard to think about, but the future is where he is, where I am. And besides, it's not always going to be dark. There will come a day when I have gotten what I have always wanted, and everyone will have a seat at the table, the one that I always intended for them to have. And the bright light you see right now in this transfiguration, you see that? It's going to pale in comparison to the light that's getting ready to break out. It's this whole little thing I worked up. It's, it's called, I'm going to call it Easter. You're going to love it. The disciples fall down and they bury their faces in the ground and they're afraid. Being in God's presence isn't for the faint of heart. Thinking about a future where they no longer have control is terrifying. But Jesus comes to them and he touches them and he says, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Not the past, not the darkness of an uncertain future. They saw no one and nothing but Jesus alone. See, now's the time to talk, Peter. If we can finally find ourselves standing in Jesus' presence, then we can all finally say, it is good for us to be here. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.